0: Hi there and welcome to On Location. I'm very excited for today's episode for a few reasons. Uh, First, you know, when we started the show, it was always our intention to travel. You know, we don't see On Location as just an LA-based show, though that's where it's been since we started, simply because this is an independently produced show, and we haven't been able to go on a cross-country podcast exploration just yet, so I'll just put out there, if you're listening and you happen to be part of a film office somewhere and you might want to sponsor us to come to your neck of the woods to talk to your film and television professionals living in your area, get in touch with me. Let's work something out. I'd love to come to your town and talk to the people that are working there, Uh, but We were able to take a little road trip today down to Orange County. And while we're still in the LA area, it's really the first time we've done an episode outside of LA County, which calls into question the Studio Zone, which is a 30-mile radius centered at the intersection of Beverly Boulevard and La Cienega Boulevard. And um, union projects use that as a basis for determining per diem rates and mileage for crew members, and we'll get into that in a little bit, because it's actually something we haven't really talked about before. Uh, We are in the city of Fullerton, which if you're not familiar, it's a suburban community right around the corner from Knott's Berry Farm. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump from Disneyland. Um, we are on Ash Avenue, which was one of the main filming locations for George Clooney's 1950 set crime drama, Suburbicon, which starred Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, and Oscar Isaac. Uh, the film, which was released in 2017, was written by Clooney, Joel and Ethan Cohen, and uh, Clooney's longtime producing partner, Grant Heslov. So, So many great people involved in Suburbicon. And another first for our show, we're actually joined by some of the residents of the location. Today we have Betsy, Linda, Mardell, and Leslie. Hello, neighbors. Hi, Jared. Hi. <laughs> nice to see you all. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Good, thanks for thanks for coming and the, thanks for letting us do this here today. So Suburbicon is, is really rooted in American history. And while murder and mayhem are playing out in one of the homes around this, uh, where we are today, the home of Gardner Lodge, played by Damon, uh, the house uh, just behind his in the film was recently purchased by an African-American family, the Myers, spelt M-A-Y-E-R-S, uh, who are based on The real life Myers, spelled M-Y-E-R-S, the Myers moved to Levittown, Pennsylvania. It's about 30 miles north of Philadelphia in the late 1950s, where as the first black family to move into the neighborhood, they were subjected to cruel and racist acts of violence and harassment both day and night. And that was concentrated over a period of a few months, but it really lasted throughout the four years they lived in that home. Levittown, Pennsylvania is considered the second American suburban community after Levittown, New York, on Long Island. While it's never really necessarily pinpointed where Suburbicon is uh, located or which Levittown it's based on. There's actually a reference other than the Myers family that gives it away. There's a scene in which a police lieutenant questions Matt Damon over suspicion that he's murdered his wife, and the cop makes a reference to a motel up near Trenton, which would suggest that Suburbicon is located somewhere in the Philadelphia area. My guest today is a location professional who has worked on films with directors like Ridley Scott, Francis Ford Coppola, and Clint Eastwood. His list of location manager credits include Wall Street, Black Rain, School Ties, The Bridges of Madison County, G.I. Jane, The Rainmaker. Uh, His first film was The Deliciously Insane Fatal Attraction. He was a location scout on Suburbicon, and he is uh, the current treasurer of the Location Managers Guild International. And coincidentally, he also knows my dad from when they both grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I'd like to welcome my guest, Ken Haber. Ken, how are you today? Hi there. Thank you.
1: I'm great. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. I know you had some crazy traffic coming down here. What was going on? Uh, I don't know. There was some major accident. Shut off the 210 and uh, for 40 minutes. I couldn't move. So finally oh got God. here. So we're good. Okay, good. All right. Well, let's. So let's just talk about this because we have
0: to. You know, you grew up with my dad, Russ, or as people called him back then, and some family members still do call him Rusty. Rusty, of course. <laughs> so you grew up, you were you
1: were friends with him in elementary school? Elementary school, up to, uh, I guess, about fourth grade, and then uh, we were staying in the same elementary school, but our classes shifted. So he was in one class, and I was in a diff- different one. It was crazy
0: talking to you on the phone the first time, because, you know, you were talking about like you know we hadn't met yet in person but you were talking about like my family members and it's kind of like a surreal thing you're like oh yeah you know i know your aunt jane and you know i ate in your
1: family's delicatessen you know it was just wild well my sister jane also <laughs> oh. sends her regards by <laughs> oh, the way cuz she was friends with your aunt jane oh so my it's god
0: a- it's crazy it's a, it's a small world it is it is well i'm glad we could finally meet that's awesome um so you know, one of the main characters in Suburbicon is this little boy, right? And, you know, you were a kid in the, you know, late 50s, early 60s, but you're growing up in in Brooklyn, right? Did you identify at all? Could you identify it all with, you know, a childlike upbringing
1: like it was depicted in Suburbicon? Um, not so much. I mean, Brooklyn wasn't the suburbia. Uh, it was the place, I guess, people left to go to suburbia. Uh, and some of my friends did eventually, you know, move out to Long Island and so forth. But, uh, it, I, I could identify with the whole concept that the film was based on. Not the murders necessarily, but, <laughs> right. but, but the rest of it. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it really did, I think, a wonderful job in terms of, uh, portraying that era.
0: Yeah. For sure. Uh you know, I always share these podcasts and my location articles with the Location Managers Guild online, you know. I I I sent one of my articles back in May and I don't I don't know who runs the social media. I have no idea. It's kind of this mystery thing. I send articles and I get responses back. Um but I sent an article back in May and I received a response from whoever runs it and said your For your next feature, you should call up Ken Haber to talk about Thelma and Louise, released 30 years ago. So you worked with Ridley Scott, what, like three times,
1: I think? Yeah, it was three times, yeah. Uh, did Black Rain, I did uh G.I. Jane, also yeah. out here with him.
0: How did you become kind of like a go-to location person
1: for Ridley Scott? Well, it's interesting because... What I think what Ridley liked uh, about working with me was the fact that I came from a commercial background, which is what Adrian Line liked on Fatal Attraction, and that's what got me the job to begin with. But when I worked with Ridley on uh, Black Rain, uh, somehow we really became hard, fast, you know, I guess you can say friends. I mean, not like, you know inviting me to his house or anything, although he did come to my house when I lived down oh, in, in New City. But um, it, he – it was a really interesting thing. He and I bonded and when um, Thelman Louise came up, he said, I want to take you with me on the road. And I said, that's amazing but you know, don't you usually go with somebody out there? He says, I want to go with you. So – Wow, that was, that was wonderful, and it was a, a, literally a life changing experience. That film,
0: that's amazing. I mean, you talked about you know that you because kind of, you had a commercial background, right? I mean, Ridley Scott started in like commercial right exactly. background, so there's that
1: connection, right? Right. right. Did Adrian Line have that too? That Adrian I'm not sure. Line, yeah, same thing. Really? Yeah, came from commercials. And uh, I remember when I had my interview with with Adrian. Um, the thing that he made very clear to me was that he wasn't just interested in my photographing the locations that I found, but he was interested in my photographing the environment to show him what was on tabletops and what was, you know, on the walls and all of that stuff that fed who the characters actually are and helped him visualize, uh, what was going on. Thelma and Louise shot mostly, what, in Utah? Thelma and Louise was uh, actually half in Utah and half in California. There were three centers. One was Los Angeles, then Bakersfield, and then everything in the movie West of Oklahoma was in Moab, Utah.
0: What can you tell me about the location where the car goes over the cliff? Is there anything interesting you can tell me about that spot? I mean, this is like the iconic end of this film, right? Yeah.
1: Well, the way my scouts started on that film, I drove and flew the entire journey that the girls took in the script. So the way it's actually scripted is they start in Little Rock, Arkansas, and they end at the Grand Canyon. So I flew and drove that whole thing, took about two, three weeks. And obviously the finale, the end location is the Grand Canyon. So I go to the Grand Canyon and uh, I, I meet with the head of public relations there and uh, I s- sat down with her. I spoke probably for about two hours explaining everything that we were going to do. When we were done, we were going to clean everything up. They'd never know we were there. You know, it's just – we'll take care of everything. So what do you think? I said to her. So she just looks back at me and says, no, we, we're not going to do it. I said, why not? She says, well, we don't like the ending um, and we think there's going to be copycat suicides if we do it. So there's the first amendment right that everyone has, which is you are allowed to say whatever you want to say in a story or whatever you want and they can't deny you that right. So if we went to court, it might take years, but we could take it to court and probably win. But who has that kind of time? Yeah. So at that point, I guess I saw my life flash before my eyes because this is the finale. This is the movie. I mean, this is what happens. So how do you – your main location. How do you go without finding the main location? So I'm like beside myself and uh, I'm – I'm heading now back to Los Angeles to meet with Ridley Scott and try to. I don't know what I'm going to say. I mean, you know, this has obviously been denied us. What are we going to do? So I sat down with Ridley and told him what happened. He says, let me see the pictures. So uh, I show him the folder of the Grand Canyon. And he says, uh, you know what? The scale is wrong, the Grand Canyon's too vast and the car will be too minuscule in such an environment. So we need to find something smaller. So that's where the search went on, and that's how we ended up in Moab, because it's sort of the tail end uh, of the Colorado River and everything, and it's a a much more reasonable sizing. So when the girls go off, it looks more dramatic. It looks pretty amazing. So the interesting part of that story, uh, is uh, after we finished the film, lo and behold, there were copycat suicides at the Grand Canyon because they thought that's where the movie was right.
0: shot. Oh my gosh. I think that is kind of the the brilliance of Ridley Scott, right? Like just being able to visualize that from your photos. I think that's incredible. It, it was you know, incredible. And,
1: and and he used to do these drawings when we'd be sitting at lunch <laughs> or dinner and he'd, be, he'd draw on a napkin and he, it was like, it was unbelievable and that same frame would show up in the movie. It was unbelievable. That's amazing. Was, I
0: mean, you know, I I've interviewed one of my previous episodes with with the uh, production designer David Snyder who was the art director on Blade Runner and he was telling me, of course, you know, after he did Blade Runner, people would come over come to him and say, "You know, we we we, we needed it to look more Blade Runner. It needs to look more Blade Runner." And he would say, "Well, if you need it to look more Blade Runner, you, you better hire Ridley Scott because he's the man that you know, even though there's this great creative team, he's the man that the vision is really coming from, for sure.
1: Well, one of the things that Ridley taught me, he taught me a lot. In fact, working with Ridley was like getting a PhD in film. He just was, he was an amazing teacher, would be really generous and answer all my questions and everything. But one of the things he taught me was you create your own reality. And if you can create a good reality, then the audience buys it. They don't they don't think about it and in Black Rain, they went to Japan to shoot half the movie planning to shoot the other half in New York uh, where I was based at the time and uh, I didn't do the Japanese part but I had to be kept apprised of everything they were doing there because we had to find it in New York if they couldn't find it in Japan. So he gets to Japan and and uh, they were so incredibly restrictive there that they ended up only being able to shoot a third of the movie. And now there was two thirds of the movie that still needed to be shot. And I couldn't find all of Japan and New York. So he ended up scouting out here in Northern California and shooting the finale of the film in a, um, a winery. And the... The motorcycle's driving all through this, you know, winery in the off-season. Everything's cut back and it has this really strange, um, scary look to it. But it was a, a winery. And, you know, where did, where did that come from? Right. And he, uh, you know, as I said, he, that's what he did. He created his own reality and people bought it and it worked. So you got
0: into locations through the commercial Right. world. So tell me a little bit about how that came to well, be. Well, I had
1: a, a, a cousin who uh, was a commercial photographer and director, and um, he was good enough to take me under his wing. His name was Steve Horn, and the company was Horn Griner. And they took me under his wing, and, and I uh, I worked there uh, after school. I went to the high school of art and design. I, I used to go and hang out and... Uh, anyway, he hired me on for the summers when I was off from school, and uh, one of the jobs I had as a as a uh, still photography assistant was to scout the locations. And in those days, we used a Hasselblad with a Polaroid back. It was a uh, yeah. It was it was really interesting, and it helped me really learn exposures and everything. It was very good, a good teacher, and. Um, I, I got really good at scouting. I liked it and it became my main thing. I became a scout and a location manager and there was enough work you know, at the various companies there to do it on a full-time basis. Uh, I think location managing was still kind of new and in features at that time in the late 60s, uh, early 70s, they weren't even quite – you know, giving credits to No, you hardly manager. ever see
0: a location credit on, uh, I mean, maybe rarely in the seventies, rarely you
1: might see somebody. Right. And it was the, it was the kind of thing where if they were shooting in New York city and they needed to shoot in a particular neighborhood, the AD would go to the precinct, the police precinct and just pay off the cops <laughs> to allow them to shoot. You know, it was that kind wow. of thing. Wow. Hoopy
0: scoop. yeah. You know. <laughs> You know, I always would hear, you know, whether it's from my dad or my aunt, you know, growing up in New York and in Brooklyn, you know, and in those days, you know, being a young kid, you know, you could just kind of go out and wander around. And as long as you're kind of home for dinner or whatever, you know, take the subway into Manhattan, although I think my dad would usually do it with his older sister, you know, but you could just go out and kind of explore. Do you think any of that added to your, I don't know, interest in being in other places and when you are scouting, being able to uh, look at things a certain way, kind of having that freedom uh, in in exploration.
1: I would say absolutely. Um, You know, it was, when I finally got my driver's license, it was this incredible rush of freedom because now I had, I can go anywhere I wanted. I wasn't bound by wherever the subway or the bus went. But absolutely i think that growing up um it wasn't even so much just growing up in new york it was growing up at that time when things were safe and you could go around and didn't think about it you know your parents didn't have to drive you to soccer and didn't have to drive you to every event you just took care of it yeah and you know in fact it was funny because we didn't have seasons like spring, summer, fall. We had stickball season, we had baseball season, we had tops season right. where we used to throw tops and yeah. baseball card season. We had those kind of seasons. And we all just went out and you make your own fun and you do your own thing and yeah, you're back for dinner and that's it.
0: Right, right. <laughs> you so you started as a location manager. And then, you know, as time's gone on, you've kind of transitioned to
1: doing more scouting. Why? Well, when I first started, I'll give you, for instance, when I first started on Fatal Attraction, your crews generally were around 40, 45 people total. And you had, you know, five trucks, a couple of vans. It was a much smaller footprint. And as time went on, and basically as a result of the The actors having more and more uh, say in their contracts and everything else, um, the company got bigger and bigger. And so one actor would have, you know, one camper for himself, and then he'd have another camper for his family or a camper for his, you know, his exercise guy, and he'd have an exercise. Once that started, all the actors on the show were fighting for who was going to, you know, it was like a pissing contest, yeah. who was going to have the biggest and the best. And when that started happening, it started to become the tail wagging the dog where instead of finding the best location to be able to shoot a movie, you had to find a place where the whole company would fit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it became a real problem that way. But it it certainly hasn't lessened. It's become worse and worse and worse over the years and what ended up happening as far as I was concerned was I became more and more of a logistics manager and less and less of a a scout, which is the reason why I got into this business to begin with because I love the photography aspect of it and I loved solving visual problems. And to me – you know finding all the places where the trucks park and the tents are set up it's it's not why I want to do this so i kind of went back to my roots and got more into the scouting again which is the part i really love and the part i really like is there
0: an advantage to being a manager and then going back and just scouting like based on your experience as a total manager
1: i'd say the the advantage to that is when I go to a location, I I see it for what the issues could be. I basically analyze. I'm not going to show them anything that is not going to work. So I, I'm not going to show them something that's right next to a noisy freeway or, you know, the planes are flying overhead and those kind of things you become very aware of. And um one of the things that you had mentioned earlier about you know things being in the zone and so forth, it was one of the things that worked out so incredibly well when we shot Suburbicon here. Because half of Fullerton is in the thirty-mile zone, and the other half of Fullerton is outside. We're just in, just inside it here. That's right, I yeah. mean, like blocks. So it worked out really well. But that was something, of course, that I had in my mind when I was scouting. I it. was going
0: to ask you about that for sure. And I looked at the, I, I did look at the map of the studio zone, and I noticed, yes, we are just like within blocks of being Literally. out of
1: <laughs> It's amazing. It, yeah. It took a while I mean, to even figure out when we were doing it. are we in or we not you know, yeah.
0: For Suburbicon, you know, what was kind of the scouting timeline from receiving the creative directive on it about what they were looking for to actually having to like really find it? Like how long did it did you have to do this?
1: Uh I, I think I it ended up taking a lot longer than we initially thought we had for it. I got onto it i other than the production designer Jim Bissell uh, who brought me on there well Mike Burmeister was on another project and he sort of stayed in touch with me while I was scouting, so he wasn't involved with it uh through my whole scouting process but it took uh uh altogether I was on it for about seven months, not wow. straight but you know periods here and there it was uh it was a very long process, very long process. Where did the search initially start?
0: Some of it was, of course, filmed at Warner Brothers on the the lot. So, of course, it's convenient if you can stay kind of close by. And I know George Clooney's production company, Smokehouse, is a Warner Brothers-based company, so... I'm sure that would help if you could stay close.
1: Absolutely. I, I looked in uh, Studio City. Um, you know, the, the whole San Fernando Valley obviously was a starting point because it was close to the stage and it was also, you know, just convenient for everybody. What I found was part of doing this research was that the areas that had the look that we needed, the suburbicon look, the the suburbia from the 50s and 60s. Those areas that existed in San Fernando, in the San Fernando Valley, were all um, heavily overgrown. I mean there were massive trees and everything that had grown over 40 years and so even if there were a couple of houses that could have worked, there was just no way to be able to get the, the kind of graphic that we needed, that clean graphic of a new development. So we had to go further afield, and I, I, I basically you know worked with uh, um, maps, everything stretched out and and did a lot of work online trying to see um, you know what looked like a feasible area and uh, ended up finding uh, a street in Fullerton here that looked like it was going to be really good, and brought the production designer uh, Jim there and um, Ended up, you know, coming out with George Clooney, and he fell in love with. It. He said, "This is great. This is fantastic. Let's do it." And that was early on in my scout. I guess I was on at that point for about three weeks or something. <laughs> so I started to do. So all three
0: the- weeks <laughs> ended up becoming like into seven
1: months. Yes. As I started to get further into this to get the permissions, we were realizing that we didn't just need two or three houses or four houses. We needed what ended up being a whole block and not just on one side but both sides of the street. And That being the case, uh, it became really, really, really difficult to find that long a stretch and the houses or the house that I had – the houses that I had found in that original search didn't really fit the bill in terms of being that big a stretch but one of the homeowners was just dead set against it and uh it's a long story that i won't that it's worth three other shows so i won't bother (laughs) but um this woman just absolutely you know didn't want to do it she vacillated at first but then she said you know no i i i don't want it and i realized if i pushed it anymore, than we would end up trying to use the location and not being able to use it. So I had to find something else. And that's what took so long. How far was it from where we are today on Ash Avenue? A few miles, a couple of miles, not that far.
0: Tell me about maybe your first time pulling up to Ash Avenue here?
1: Well, the interesting thing is I went online. Uh, I went onto Google Earth and I scoured Google Earth. And from Google Earth, it looked like everything had trees. But, you know, you can't really tell unless you're there and you look. So what I did, I realized that Fullerton was good. Um, maybe I'd find something else that worked here. So I sat down with a map of Fullerton and I literally drove every single street in Fullerton. And one day, this was the street I was up to and I found that and I, I, my jaw dropped because there were no trees on this street on top of the fact that the homes looked original. Hardly any changes had been made architecturally to bring them up to date. It looked like I had just done a time warp and ended up in the 1950s again. It was unbelievable so (laughs) i i pull up and i take some pictures and uh i I don't remember exactly how it worked but but i i found betsy uh who was one of the homeowners on the street and uh i i think at that time i left notes i was leaving notes because i wasn't finding people home and so forth and um Uh, Betsy was kind enough to get back to me and, and we took it from there. Maybe Betsy can tell you more about that experience. I understand Betsy is the the mayor
0: of the block too. So, you know, it makes sense that, so it makes sense she would be the one calling you back.
3: Well, I'll tell you how it happened. You knocked on AJ Castro's door or you saw him outside. That's my next door neighbor at the time. He's moved. And, um, and so he, you gave him your number and I just happened to be, you were gone then. I happened to be walking out the door seeing AJ in his car leaving for work and he said, Betsy, come here. And he said, you're never going to believe this. He said, somebody was here talking to me and George Clooney wants to make a movie on our street. And I <laughs> knew he was lying to me because he pulls my leg all the time. And I just <laughs> almost just walked away and no. So he convinced me. And then so I did give Ken a call and then Ken came over and I really kind of took pity on him because I just felt like I know all my neighbors. This guy to send him out to every house by himself. I just didn't think it would be successful. So I offered to come with Ken, and I knew they'd open the door if I was there with Ken. And It that's...
1: was literally like Providence. Drop, <laughs> drop me on this street,
3: <laughs> yes. and then
1: drop Linda in my lap. Betsy.
3: <laughs> <Or> Betsy, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <Either> and Linda. <laughs> we're, at, <laughs>
1: we're at Linda's. <laughs> we're at Linda's,
3: yeah.
0: No, that's, that's incredible. I mean, uh, has there been... An experience like that in, in your career? Do you remember like a, a homeowner or somebody being just so cooperative and actually like, like, yeah, I'm going to walk around to every house with you and no. get this done f- no, for you? No,
1: the answer is no. It's never <laughs> happened before. <laughs> Hasn't happened since. She's unbelievable. What
3: Our block is unbelievable. Your block
1: is unbelievable. At this time, Betsy, when
0: you met with Ken, what did he tell you the film was about?
3: Well, basically, he first liked our street because it did represent the block in um, Levittown, Pennsylvania, that it looked very similar. He loved that we didn't have trees. I think they'd just been removed maybe the year before. Thanks because to of, you, Because by the of way. plumbing problems, we all got our trees removed, and the new ones had not been put in yet. And so um, he told us basically it was a story of a black couple moving into a white neighborhood back in the 50s in a neighborhood that looked just like ours because our houses were built in the 50s and that was, um, how the neighborhood would react to the black family and that was basically the gist of the movie.
0: But upon watching the film, you realized there was a whole other side of right, the story, right? right? That maybe you didn't. Yeah, we don't, had I, no clue
3: did. until we watched the movie, and our all our jaws dropped open and went, "Wow! Okay, we didn't know that part." But um, anyway, it still was a great experience.
0: If you guys knew the full story, if Ken tol- had <laughs> told you the other part of the story about what was going in the ho- on in the house on the other block behind this house as depicted in the movie, would you have been as cooperative or understanding of wanting to do this picture? I'll let any, anybody who wants to answer.
4: That wouldn't have made a difference to me. Um, I I just remember some weeks before that, or maybe it was months now, um, getting the letter on the, on my front porch from the production company saying that George Clooney was interested. And, um, and I was familiar with the Coen brothers and their work and I just felt so honored, honestly. I felt so honored and I, I wanted to be a part of that. So it wouldn't have made a difference to me, to be quite honest. I didn't have the great good pleasure of meeting Ken back then. It was actually someone from the legal team that came. Um, this lovely man from Chicago that was so excited that there happened to be a Portillos like just a oh, few yeah, miles I know down. Yeah, right? yeah, Portillos. Yeah, yeah, Portillos. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, we, <laughs> he's the one that told me about it. And yeah, same same disclosure it was about the the couple that moved next door and so forth. We didn't know how dubious the whole script was going to be right. and how dark and seedy, but. What, what I felt compelled to as well is just um, being a part of something that keeps filming in California. I never realized how great it was for the local economy. So we, I think we all kind of made out nicely and got a little piece of the nice. pie being on the block, whether we had cables on the front lawn and we were being compensated or whether we were having eggs thrown at our house, like Linda. she could tell you more about. Um, It was, it was (laughs) really nice to have some unexpected income. And, but even without that, I think I still would have been a part of it. Just, it was an honor. Really
1: nice. In terms of the storyline, the reason why I didn't make a big deal about all the murder stuff was because originally that was sort of secondary. It wasn't the main story. The main story was oh, the whole race issue and everything. And that sort of shifted later and they cut you know some other big parts out and so forth. And the murder mystery part – in fact, I was kind of amazed when I went to see the movie because I didn't realize that from the script either. It had wow. It had really evolved that way. So it kind of grew into that. It wasn't something that we were trying to – you know a yeah. uh, hide or anything and we, we didn't know
0: there you go now you know that Ken wasn't hiding anything from you okay <laughs>
3: Ken we still love you thank <laughs> you you're good if it had not been for Ken warming us up i'm not sure he would have gotten a re- we would have given a response that was so warm and welcoming because Ken really set the stage for us and um you know, he's a very friendly guy. And so it, he made it easy for all of us to want to say yes. He was.
1: I should have brought you to the Grand Canyon.
3: Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well.
1: <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> and so,
0: Linda, we're at your house, which was kind of the main featured house uh, on the block where the Myers family moves in. Mm -hmm. So it's your house that the windows are being broken. There's a Confederate flag hanging out the front window. There's eggs being thrown at the house. What were you you doing while all this was going on?
2: I was sitting in the back room, (laughs) 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 watching TV most of the time. Yeah. You know, it got a little, by that point, they'd already been filming for several days. And it kind of got a little overwhelming for me at that time. And it was getting late at night too. So I finally just gave up and went in the back room. But yeah. it was very interesting to watch. I could watch from the, back, from the garage window. I could see, you know, George was right outside that window. And, uh, you know, so I could see the, the riot going on in the front yard. I couldn't see the, the car, but I could it was very
1: interesting
0: yeah. to watch. Ken, talk about scouting with George Clooney.
1: Yeah, I had the one experience where we scouted that other street. Uh, with George uh, and the interesting thing was when we went out to scout that day he said let's go in my car in his car so we drove in his car and he drove and at one point on the scout he turned to me and he said have you ever been on a scout with a director before the director drove and I no absolutely <laughs> not he's just a really really nice regular guy really nice man was that your experience when you met him? You got the couple that did you...
3: Well, we had uh, several of us neighbors on the grass because we knew he was coming that day to look <laughs> at our street. And unfortunately, one of the neighbors had to leave and she missed the whole opportunity. And she's just, to this day, regretting that. But um, my back was turned to the street right at the moment. We'd been waiting an hour or so. And and I feel a tap on my shoulder and I turn around. And it's George. And I about died. <laughs> and I was introduced as, yes, this is the nice lady that helped us. You know, get all the signatures. And so I got a picture with George and made me rather famous for a year or two with that picture. (laughs) But you had (laughs) some neighbors and friends. (laughs) You
0: had some family or somebody who didn't believe what just happened that day, right? But you had proof of it.
3: After that very day with the picture, I was meeting with my sister and her family and my cousin. Uh, Two cousins were down from Washington and we were all meeting for dinner, all of us, big table of people. And and as we walked in, I'll just say, you guys just won't hap- won't believe what happened to me today. And they're guessing and all. And I finally said, look, let me just tell you. Uh, I met George Clooney today. Yeah. And they went, yeah, right. <laughs> Betsy, come on. That's silly. So I showed them the picture, and they really just about all died. And then I realized what a treasure that picture was going to be.
1: <laughs> Did he ever sign so- that for you?
3: Um, no, it's just on my phone. But um, yeah, gee, that would have been great. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the
5: hindsight.
3: <laughs> Maybe you can hook us
5: Maybe up again. <laughs> we can do that, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so Ken, I I mean I imagine you haven't been down here since you I haven't been made, down made here the movie. And
1: Nothing's changed.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's still the fifties again. I Don't, love it. When you were scouting, did you know that in order to create this? vast scope of this uh, planned suburban community that was built in the late forties, though the film takes place in the fifties. Did you know that they were going to do quite a bit of visual effects, like out in the background? Like you look down the street, because one of the first opening shots is like a crane shot. Uh, The mailman's coming down the street and you just see way out into the distance of all these hills of houses. Did you
1: know that that was a plan? You know, it's interesting because as this went on, Jim Bissell obviously had to figure out how to solve the visual problems based on the actual locations we were shooting at. And, um, you know, one of the things they did was rather than shoot the backyard scenes here because of the walls and so forth that exist in the actual neighborhood here, they ended up going, uh, and shooting that on a hilltop and building the backs of the houses so that they could Shoot the relationship with the open backyards, um, that way. So that was, this was all figured out after the fact. And Jim figured out, you know, basically how to go about making this the neighborhood in its entirety that he needed it to be. And so, no, I don't think any of us actually knew to what extent things would be changed, but we knew they would be changed. And, by the way, the set decorator Jan Pascal did an amazing job, and one of the things that they did to make it look so period was they had greens people come in yeah. and and basically turn the yards into nineteen fifties nineteen sixties planting yards so all of that was changed i mean yeah. it, every aspect of it it was really quite an amazing thing that took place
0: no that's incredible and i wanted to ask i wanted to ask all of you you know that you know of course there's always a fair amount of that that happens at a location you know things have to be changed you know to fit whatever it is houses have to be painted landscaping when the film was done did you feel like like if somebody had to have their house painted or did did people want things to go back the way they were before did people want to keep it the way it was when they were when they left
3: they only painted a few of the houses, and one of them that they painted, they wanted to keep it that way, so finished it off. Yeah. Uh, uh, directly across from Linda's house is Fran's house, and she has like a desert landscape-type yard. So they simply took the... Uh, fake green grass and kind of just lumped it over her, her cactus and things like that. Um, So naturally hers came off at the end, but I think the rest of us, it was great. It was brand new grass for me though. They ran out. I was towards the end of the street. I got spray painted green on my
4: grass. (laughs) (laughs) They do that
1: in New Jersey, by the
4: way. It looked great for a while. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It it was a benefit for us actually, because um, we had, you know, bless my husband's heart who bought this home and had been living in for a good 18 years before we got married, but there was this horrendous kind of 1970s old barn-looking fence, and I would have wanted that gone anyway. So they actually, the production team, actually took it out, and um, we became... Pretty good friends, actually, with the person that was in charge of the landscaping. He, we got to talk to him for a good couple of weeks, and um, he assured us if there's anything you like, you can keep it. And he they took out some succulents that were in the front that I would have wanted gone anyway. So, you know, for someone, let's say like a, a new homeowner, or if you want to kind of revamp things, so to speak, it's, uh, it's kind of a really good benefit so to speak have a so. film
0: production come to exactly. your neighborhood Exactly. Yeah. Be, be
4: open just yeah. be open to receive and you know the compensation like i mentioned that helped as well but yeah. no there were some there were some some great benefits just from the landscaping point of view that we actually kept so nice. yeah thanks thanks to them for doing the work for me for a, a horrendous <laughs> fence i would have wanted gone anyway
1: <laughs> i'm curious myself have you since the filming was done here if you guys uh, had like a bunch of Tourists or looky loos coming by and wanting to see things or knocking on your door and asking questions and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, every once in a while, I have somebody like like salesman to come to the door. You know, to try to sell me solder or whatever. They say, well, "Isn't this the street where they filmed George Clooney? Didn't you have a car in your driveway?" <laughs> and, nice. You know? Yeah, so I was, I was still, interested. Not I long was, ago.
0: Yeah, I was curious about that too, especially because the film itself wasn't successful. I mean it wasn't a success at the box office, right? I think it costs like at least IMDb has it at like twenty five million. It made like twelve million, I think, um, worldwide box office. So it's not um Fast and the Furious or something, you know what I mean? So in terms of fans, you know, coming to see the street. So I was curious about that, too, if you guys get people coming yeah, here.
3: I wanted to say right away at the very beginning, yeah. Um, yeah. especially the weekend, they had to park all the cars on our street that were the old-fashioned cars. There were so many that they lined both sides of the streets. And of course, all the neighbors in on the other blocks were dying to come onto our street. They were not allowed onto our street. Mm. And we... We could because we lived here. And so that particular weekend, oh, my gosh, I was out watering. And first I explained the story to the first person that stopped and asked, and then the second person. And by the fourth or fifth, I go, this is getting old. And I went inside. (laughs) So I don't think I'd like to be famous. It it would wear off. (laughs) So we were famous for a short time, and it was fun in the beginning, but then it got to be a bother.
4: Yeah, I I remember that as well, where they started filming on a Thursday it was in the contract that it'd be three days. It would be Thursday, Friday, no filming through the weekend. And then Monday is when they would wrap here. And so that weekend, I mean, we felt like we were living in a museum. There were people from all over the city coming and it was really special. It really was like stepping back in time. And, you know, we had a lovely 57 Chevy Bel Air in the driveway for a few days. They Um, wouldn't
1: leave that for you? (laughs)
4: <laughs> no, I wish
1: I asked. I, I just don't understand it.
4: Maybe maybe we'll have to write that in the contract next there time you all come and um, you know, film here. Um, but yeah, we we did feel quite special, and it was a lot of people came just walking through. Oh
5: yes, and what when they did the night filming? Well, there was somebody that came from the other block, and I asked us, "Oh, they're my family," and I let them, let them in. It was like three people, and they stayed right with me. But they were so grateful that they could come and watch. Uh, down at the end. We, yeah. we didn't get real close to it, obviously.
0: I mean, going to see a film location is uh, special. You know, people love the uh, ins and outs of the behind the scenes of a big production like that, you know.
1: One of the things that I I always try to make clear, and I, I think I was pretty clear about that with you, Betsy, was that, you know, when we come, it's sort of like the circus comes to town or the army comes in. But when we leave it will be as if we were never there. And I want to make sure that that was the case.
5: Oh, yes. Yes, definitely.
1: Other than um, we
5: were at, live at the end of the block and our house didn't really get into the, the, the movie, but we had a little small retaining wall. And so the production company put a lot of cables and all kinds of tarps and different things and they would store them there. And they left some of that behind. Other than that, <laughs> We, they're we still would've... looking
1: for it, by the <laughs> way. They'll <laughs> be pulling up any day now. Yeah,
5: we left it out there for a while, and then my husband said, well, I guess they're not coming after it, and put it in the garage. But um, other than that, you couldn't tell you had been there. But when they were here, this entire backyard was full <laughs> of all
2: kinds of wood and sawhorses and, yeah. and, saw horses and, and <laughs> It was just amazing, and I work from home, so it was kind of overwhelming a little bit, but it worked out. How
0: did they, uh, I don't know if you know, Ken, or I don't know, Linda, maybe you know, how did they decide this house as being the Myers house? Like, this is going to be sort of the hero house on the street.
1: And that was Jim Bissell who made the decision. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I showed him the block, and he sort of decided which would work the best in terms of what the storyline was about. But
0: Linda, you had a th- you had a theory about maybe why it was your house that th- they they picked.
2: I heard that they were considering two houses in the area. One my house and another one, but then it came down to something about a palm tree in their front yard. I that think that they right. didn't want to move.
0: This house too, I think, is uh, is attractive for the main house because it's like right in the middle of the block, right? So you get everything right. around it, right? I think that's – so no matter which way you look, you're looking right. down the block. You're not at the corner. Right. You know, so I think that's good, and especially too because the corner with those visual effects shots in the opening, that corner, that dead end, that where it ends of the street, is like completely different looking. So you don't necessarily even want to focus on that, right? Right, exactly. I mean, that's one thing. So yeah, we are in Orange County, we are within the zone as we talked about. Did you find there's a main difference of you know working in LA County versus Orange County in terms of film offices or logistics?
1: He, he, the further away you go from L.A., yeah. the more friendly and helpful everybody is because they don't oh. get the same amount of work. So they couldn't have been any nicer. And they pretty much opened up the doors and said, like, you know, whatever you guys want to do, we'll help you and, you know, mm-hmm. we'll be here for you. So, you know, not only was Betsy and the neighborhood great – you know, the whole, the community as a whole was really terrific. They really, really, really were helpful.
0: What did it feel like when they, when you, when they were shooting this big mob scene out front of Linda's house here? I mean, did you get to watch some of that? What was it like, especially for you, Linda? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, we know it's a movie, but to kind of peek out your window and see just like this huge crowd of people, they're throwing eggs and doing all this stuff
2: right it was it it was very exciting. Uh, I could see all these people I, you know it was late at night and there was just this, all this noise everywhere and and things flying around the yard and <laughs> throwing trash and stuff around the yard and and it was just you know overwhelming. I could see a little bit from the garage window, but yeah it was it was pretty overwhelming. <laughs>
0: George came in your house to look at angles because yes. there are some shots looking out the door, even though one the interiors are set were were yes, sets of these ha- of the houses. Know, yeah, yeah. So, but there are some angles right at the front door, so he had to step in and right and look. Right?
2: Uh, it was one of the first days, I think, that she was talking to the mail the, the black y- yes. couple that moved in. The mailman was talking to the woman, and he came in. He wanted to see the shut the 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 view going out where the camera was. And I was sitting in the living room here in a chair, just kind of sitting, chip, vegging out, you know, nothing I could do. I wasn't really... But he he walked over, he walked in and, he, and was talking to the cameraman and he looked over and said, oh, hi. And he walked over and said, hi, my name is George. And he shook my hand. <laughs> like, That's I wouldn't great. know who he was. <laughs>
0: like, right. <laughs> did you, as neighbors, or I don't know, did you go see the film like together or did you see it at different times what was your experience seeing the film for the first time and seeing your yeah, street we
3: tried to go at the same time we were going to rent the whole theater oh, well. and then it was too expensive and so we kind of just went in different groups really smaller yeah. groups and, um, but what we did do after all was said and done and the dust settled and everybody was gone, we had a little dessert party at Stacy's house on the corner and people had pictures. Some people had made photo albums and that kind of thing. So we all reminisced and we got to see pictures and newspaper articles and things like that. So, um, that was a good way to kind of end it all.
2: One thing that happened with me, I'd seen the movie here and then I went on a trip, um, and I flew to Israel at the end of November that year, and we had just landed in Tel Aviv, and we were la- we were driving to the hotel, and we stopped at a light, and I look off to the right, and here's a, a sign for Superbicon <laughs> with Julianne Moore, and and I, I forget, and there's my garage window and in, in, oh, in Don oh, in the lower wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's the stuff I love about locations. That's great. And uh, what was it like, you know, seeing your street? on the big screen like that
5: it flashed so quickly when you're watching it in the theater that you really couldn't tell which houses were which So when the DVD came out, we purchased it. And my husband went through and stopped framed and look, and we'd try to guess and try to figure it out. And um, I loaned it to Betsy recently, and um, she did the same. So it it, it was kind of interesting. We could tell more off the DVD than we could actually watching the movie.
0: Right. But actually, you just said something really interesting there, right? Is that you're watching this movie, and you can tell which house is whose. And that's the whole point, Right. I mean, we're in a planned community where all the houses look the same.
3: I don't know if it was a set decorator or who it was, but somebody that was working. Um, we had like, I don't know, maybe eight of us crowded onto one of the lawns and we were just trying to be out of the, stay out of the way and be very quiet and respectful. And she came by and she said, you know, I have never, ever seen a neighborhood like this where everybody's so friendly and you're really the friendliest neighborhood we've ever met. And we said, thanks. Well, back in 2002, well, let's see, I moved here in 2002. Back in 2003, then, we started our first block party. And we have them twice a year, 4th uh, of July and Christmas. Of course, 2020 was a wash. So I think that's really what brought us together as neighbors, uh, these block parties. And so... That's – I mean really, we're all friends. We, every single house on this block and a few that way and that way are the other blocks. We know them very, very well.
1: I, I think the amazing part about your street and your neighborhood here is that this is a re, – it's really uh, a touchy subject. It's really – it's something that I certainly didn't relish, You know, knocking on a door and saying, by the way, can we have a race riot out in front of your house? Um, it's, a t- it's a tough – tough subject and a a tough problem. And the fact that everybody here was so uh, gracious and kind, not just to the production company, but to each other, and uh, that never became an issue one bit in the whole scope of things. And I know for a fact that if we were on other streets, it probably would have been an issue. There would have been people that – would have not wanted that kind of thing on their street. So uh, it's, it's a, my hat's off to you guys. I mean, it's just, in a, it's amazing um, the kind of connection you guys have with each other, and it's truly uh, fantastic.
3: I just wanted to make a note about Fran, our dearest neighbor in the world across the street. Um, she is an original owner. And wow. she kept all the equipment in her garage for everybody. And that's where the Plymouth uh, station wagon was backing out and hit the lamppost. Oh, yes, that was yes, Fran's yes. house. So I just wanted to make mention um, so we get her name on there because yeah. really she's just such, oh, we love her to death. And she told me when they first moved in and the neighborhood was new, they used to do exactly what we're doing now. But then as they all started to move out and newer people, younger people started to move in, it kind of stopped. Yeah. And then um, – um, it started up again, so
0: that's nice. Yeah, well, it's yes, nice it too is. that the movie could, uh, aside from the block parties, but the movie could bring you guys together too. That's really Even nice more to hear. So, that's, yes. really, that's really really nice. Legacy
1: yes. we really do want to leave. That's I mean, yeah, wonderful. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and you know,
0: great. it's it's I, I love hearing that, especially again because you know, it's not that I necessarily I, I want to harp on the fact that the movie didn't you know wasn't a huge block you know blockbuster success, but that is very rewarding. I think you know, and it almost. I'm, I'm sure the studio wasn't ha- happy about that, but but that is rewarding, I think, and that almost trumps the the other side of it. I feel like you know, I You're think that's really right. wonderful. You it's, know?
1: it's one of the reasons why I made the transition from commercials into features. Because when I was doing commercials, at the end of the day, what did I do? I just pushed some product for somebody, you yeah. know. And, but in a feature film, I had the opportunity of making a difference in people's lives and you know the things you can do for a neighborhood or a person or a community what it that's that's what makes me happy and that's what I try to do when I'm working on projects and I'm so glad to see that it happened here and to hear you know the result of 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 the experience that it was something that everybody did enjoy, and and it was a good, a good experience process, and um, we did what we said we were going to do, and it worked out. Yeah. Yes. Out of all the things
0: you've worked on, what do you feel like is one of the most rewarding projects? I mean, it sounds like this is one of them for sure, based on what we were just talking about. Um, but is there a project, one film that just like really transcends all the others?
1: This was amazing. Uh, in fact, I think if I got the assignment to do this now, I would pro- probably say it can't be done. I'll never find that again. Um, so it was one of those things that just sort of came together. But in terms of the most amazing project that I'd worked on, I'd have to say that was Thelma and Louise. Because when I scouted that film – and as I said I scouted it, you know, basically from, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas to the Grand Canyon and all sorts of locations in between for months and months. That was an interesting thing in that it represented a spiritual journey that the girls were on and I sort of went through the same kind of spiritual journey when I was scouting it and everywhere I went there was somebody to take me on the next part of that journey. And so, uh, yeah, it was uh, an amazing, amazing experience, and um, I've never had any experience like that since. So from
0: Brooklyn to, <laughs> to Little Rock to Suburbicon, that's wonderful. It's a wonderful journey. Well, I'll journey. tell you
1: what makes this business so amazing is that you never know what you're going to be doing from day to day, and that is so exciting. I think if I had to go into an office every day for, you know, for years, I would probably want to blow my brains out. <laughs> but the idea that you know, it, my next day is not only going to be different, but I have no idea what it's going to be like, the people you meet and the experiences you have, it's fascinating. Like meeting your childhood best friend's son,
0: and uh, I, I think I think it was life. just I think it was just uh, absolutely uh, uh, incredible, you know, just no absolutely amazing. I mean, I just I I, st- I I just can't believe it, you know, I just can't believe it. Thanks so much to all of you for joining me today, Linda, for welcoming us into your home. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Mayor Betsy for uh, coordinating with Ken to put this together. So nice. And it's so nice to meet you, Leslie Mardell. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Just a pleasure. Ken, again, thank you for helping put it together. It's just a pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure to meet you. So excited! You we're gonna take a selfie and send it to my dad when we're done, uh, for sure. Um, so the next time I would tell you all listening, the next time you're down in Orange County, you know, and after you're done, you know, maybe on the streets of Disney's California Adventure that are modeled to look like movie sets, come and look at a real movie set just a few miles away. Come over to Ash Avenue; it's not that far. The neighbors are super nice. We
4: Don't have free parking free- here.
1: used to be free now they're
4: charging
0: (laughs) Uh, make sure to uh, follow us on our social media all of our info is on the website onlocationpodcast.com thanks so much for listening and joining us on location I'll see you next time